And welcome everybody to another Smart Money Circle update. I'm Adam Sarhan. With me today is a very special guest, Dave Mazza, who's head of product at Direction, and they have about uh, $25 billion in assets under management. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Dave, I always like to begin. Can you give us your background? Tell us your story, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is, is probably the opposite of, uh, of what many people in finance have. And, and I think in some ways, that's a good thing. Um, I, in, in, uh, when I went to Boston College, you know, I really thought I was going to become an attorney. Um, I studied philosophy and political science. Um, but uh, you know, the joke I, I, I make is that there wasn't any philosophy companies hiring. Right. Uh, and a- after I decided to defer law school, defer law school, um, I um, I went to work at State Street Global Advisors uh, in uh, a division that they had there called Charitable Asset Management, and it really is in many ways sort of an old school trust business, uh, managing planned gifts assets for uh, for foundations and endowments and and other other folks. But for me, it's a great way to really touch all sorts of parts of finance, everything from the relationship management to the portfolio management, legal compliance and, and all and, and, and everything in between. Uh, and I really kind of fell in love with, uh, with the investment side, um, worked my way through that organization, then moved up to, uh, to be an assistant portfolio manager uh, in one of their quantitative portfolio management teams. And at the same time, started studying for my MBA. Uh, and then from there, moved into the, the spider ETF business at State Street, uh, and spent uh, many years there uh, uh, prior to, to then moving to, to Oppenheimer Funds and then and here at Direction. So, you know, I always say, um, you know, many people, you know, have a belief, you know, when they're in high school or, or college or even in university that you want to do certain things. I think as we've learned, um, you know, uh, it's, it, it's good to take, to take things uh, as they come and be, particularly as a young person, be open to different opportunities. I love that. So, Dave, tell me a little about thematic ETFs, your investment strategy now, how your firm views the marketplace, investing versus trading, et cetera. Yeah, so I think, you know, we use investing and we use trading and, and, and everyone I think has a different opinion of what does that mean, right? So someone could say, well, I'm a trader and, and maybe that means that they're, they're trading uh, infrequently or I'm a long-term investor and it turns out actually they're trading too much. Um, but the way I think about it is, you know, think about it from a portfolio perspective is you have long-term investments, right? And these are really things where you probably shouldn't be touching them very frequently, whether you're managing them on your own or using an advisor, kind of long-term, whether it's retirement or saving for a house or something, and your risk tolerance is going to be different, of course, at your age or, or what your objective is. But when we think about trading, that's really the way I think about it is really short-term. So, High, high turnover, high frequency, uh, being monitoring portfolios on a daily basis, if not intraday. And now that's not right for everyone, but if someone has the ability and interest in doing that, that's kind of your trading bucket. And then you probably should have much of it on the investment side, but that's okay. So that's how I really think about the world. And what thematic investing has done over the past few years is almost kind of bridge the gap between those two areas where historically, um, whether it was active managers or other folks looking to identify particular securities, what, in many ways, what we're, they were talking about is, what are these disruptive themes, right? What's cha- what change is under a foot that we may not be appreciating, whether that's uh, what's happening with industrial companies or what's all the excitement that's always occurring in biotech or even the disruption in financial services with fintech and, 
and decentralized finance and things of that nature. So thematic investing is really about capturing some of those longer term trends that, that are occurring and, and packaging them. And we do so in ETFs, but others do it in different vehicles. Um, and, and an ETF is an exchange traded fund. Um, and we, we do that so that someone could say, hey, there's some opportunities here that may play out over the very long run, but I think uh, that there, this opportunity could, could occur over three months or six months or, or, or even longer. So that kind of, to me, these type of strategies, and there's many of them that are occurring because there's a lot of exciting things happening in the world today, um, that it kind of bridges that gap between true long-term investments and true kind of more tactical trading. I love that. So do you find most of your investor base or shareholder base are actively trading your ETFs or do you find them to be more of the long-term buy and hold investors? So we're, we're a unique firm, right? Where the, the majority of our actual ETFs are what's called leveraged ETFs. So what we're doing is we amplify exposure to particular areas of the market. So it could be large cap stocks, small cap stocks, China, uh, treasury bonds, what have you. And they're really intended to be used for trading tools. They're not long-term investment vehicles. And so what we see is that whether you're a retail investor who's trading on your own account or even an institutional investor who wants a tool to say, hey, I believe that semiconductor stocks are going to do well or my model tells me going to do well over the next day or two, they use our products to help them with that. We also have products that, that are called inverse ETFs, right. that they provide the opposite exposure um, to a particular area of the market. And right now, um, as we've you know, been in a period of market volatility that we haven't really seen, that many people haven't seen um, for some time, we of course, we're seeing interest in those products increase because maybe someone has a portfolio of, I'll use for example, financial stocks. Um, you know, they like they like their ownership of Citigroup or J.P. Morgan or, or, or Goldman Sachs, what have you. But they believe that they're that they don't and they don't want to sell them. They have long-term capital gains. You could use an inverse ETF to hedge some of that exposure in this period or when they announce earnings to help with that. So there's different utility for these particular products, but they really are supposed to be tactical trading tools, at least on the leverage and inverse side. And then our thematic ETFs, which don't have that embedded leverage, those are used more longer term. And I'd say they're a six months, 12 months, or even longer time period. I love that. So Dave, tell me a little, how do you handle risk and what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? So what we think about risk in two ways. We think about the risk that we have actually managing the products, working with our counterparties, the folks that we trade with. And we use a multitude of tools for that, um, whether that they're uh, third-party tools or ones that we've created on a proprietary basis to understand, you know, uh, what does our daily risk look like as a business? But I also like to think about, of course, risk of folks using our products or just in general in the marketplace. And many people... You know, risk is defined in a quantitative fashion, standard deviation or volatility. That's not really how people think about it. People think about risk as losing money, um, you know, whether it's uh, right. So it's really that drawdown that people are concerned about. Can you absorb a 25% drawdown in a period or 50% or maybe more? So, you know, a, a great example is what's happening with Bitcoin, right? Since its history, Bitcoin has been in long periods of 50% or greater drawdown. And I'm not saying, uh, I'm not advocating someone should buy it or not because of that, but that's the reality. It's a volatile asset class. Yeah. Then there are periods where it has unbelievable outperformance. So it has to go back to 
what type of loss uh, as a trader or investor am I comfortable? And do I need um, to either work with my advisor if I'm a do-it-yourself investor to really solidify that? And until you solidify that, in some ways, at least for me, it took experience making some wrong decisions to feel it. Right. Um, then you can know, okay, this is really the kind of risk bucket I should think of myself. And the other thing that this is a, a personal thing I do that, that, that it's not uh, uh, novel to me, if you will, is I have sort of different buckets of assets. So meaning, meaning I can take, have, I can balance some more speculative type investments some more spe- riskier stocks along, uh, alongside, you know, more stable, more index-based investments um, because I know that that's going to do what it's going to do. I'm not going to touch it. I'm probably only going to ever add to that uh, from a dollar cost averaging standpoint. Um, yeah. And then I can, I'm, I can have the ability to take on some more risk. And if those things don't pay off, that's okay because they're smaller portions of my, my aggregate portfolio. No, I love that. So uh, Dave, tell me a little bit about timeless lessons. What are some timeless lessons you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. So, you know, again, what we just talked about risk and that to me was a, you know, really important lesson. You know, one of the, one of the uh, areas that, that I, I learned uh, when I was, uh, you know, as an analyst and as an assistant portfolio manager uh, in a, in a, uh, at State Street in a previous life is, is to really also think about your time period for a particular investment. They go hand in hand, right? right? So if my, many studies have shown, in U.S. stock markets, and U.K. stock markets, stocks win all the time, right? Over 50, 100-year periods. Right, yeah. Over, over one-year periods, over one-month periods, not the case at all. Right. Um, so if I have, uh, if I'm truly saving for retirement and I'm, and I'm 25 or 30 years old, you should probably be comfortable, uh, probably is a key word here, taking on greater, greater risk because you, th- that, that money is going to sit and grow. If you need it for shorter periods, or if you can't just absorb that loss, think about that. And your allocations are going to be vastly different, whether that's thinking about allocations toward a risky assets like stocks versus bonds or even cash mm-hmm. or, um, uh, or, or, anyth- or anything in between. What's interesting now is there's been a generation of investors, uh, and I am in this generation, who right. have never faced true inflation at all. We've only faced deflationary pressures. And every, every model that uh, I developed quantitatively, every, uh, every textbook has basically said that central banks and the Federal Reserve have the tools to fight inflation. And right. we're about to see if, if all of that is true. Um, because uh, you know, the most dangerous words in finance are this time is different. But right. I think the timeless, uh, timeless lesson people need to understand is that times can be different particularly when it's kind of generational movements, if you will. No, I love that. So I have a few thoughts there. One is think of a 747. It needs a long enough runway to take off, right? So if you don't give it that time, it's not going to be able to take off. And then I just published a new book. It's number one on Amazon called Psychological Analysis. In it, it's a third school of thought in addition to fundamental and technical analysis. In it, I talk about what you're talking about, which is time arbitrage. Most people, are, they miss the forest because they're too busy looking at the trees, the leaves on the trees, like the intraday charts, and they even the daily charts in most days don't even matter for the most part. I love what you're saying. So let me ask you about fundamental and technical analysis charts and, and looking at fundamentals. Where do you lean in, that, in those two departments? Are you more heavy on the fundamentals? Are you more heavy on technicals? How do you use both of those tools? 
So it's interesting. So if you were to ask me this about 10 years ago, I would have told you uh, efficient market hypothesis, technical analysis is worthless. Don't even read the books. Forget about it. Yeah. Well, guess what? Like, I think any investor, you need to appreciate charts. Do you matter? Um, but I learned truly in kind of a quantitative set, setting. Um, you know, my mentors were probably overly focused just on the data, right? right? And if the data told us EPS revisions were improving, EPS growth was, was improving, valuations were low, the stock had high ROE, that, you know, that's a perfect buy. Um, well, guess what? you also need to be relevant is what is the marketplace really telling you about that? Right. And that's to me, that's how I use technical analysis. And that's how I think about charting is that, um, you know, I'm not a chartist like there, and there's many great ones out there, but to me, I want to have a mosaic of information when right. I'm thinking about an thinking about an investment. And I really use that also when I'm thinking about creating new products um, that can be packaged. Some of them might just be fundamentally based, um, uh, but we also need to, you know, need to appreciate that uh, uh, that 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 you know that that have maybe has some flaws in it, and that could be okay. Uh, but right. just saying I can only do one thing or another, to me, I think is a bit of an antiquated uh, way of thinking about investing or even trading. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I love that. So we talked about timeless lessons, uh, fundamental analysis, risk management. Talk about some timeless mistakes you see people make in the market, and how do you avoid those? Yeah, look, I mean, what, I think one of the mistakes that we're seeing people now, people now is an over-reliance on social media. Yeah. And there were probably, you know, back in the tech bubble, there was probably an over-reliance on what your neighbors were buying, right? right. Or just what was on nightly news, um, you know, when, when they started publishing the NASDAQ along with the Dow and the S&P 500 on, on your, your, your 6 p.m. news. Um, the same thing happened in the um, uh, in the housing in the housing bubble and housing crisis, right? Everyone wants to keep up with the Joneses. Right now, we have more power in our hands with our phone than we've ever had before, than it took to get the, to land men on the moon, you know, right. uh, decades ago. But that actually, I think, uh, in one hand, is a crutch, and also is uh, uh, is can be detrimental to us because there's such an information overload. So what I see, particularly when I talk whether it's, you know, younger family members, cousins I have, um, you know, they're very reliant on sort of what today's news is or right. what, 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 what we're hearing. And particularly when you're, when you're experiencing a drawdown, um, it's, it, it, it's hard to, to, to sort of weed some of that out. So what I'd say is, you know, shut down your Reddit, your Twitter, if you're trying, you know, use that information though, um, but pair it with, with your own, with your own work and opinion, because, the worst thing I think that could happen now is that people who maybe bought into the market at maybe uh, too high of a valuation ratio or at all time highs start selling everything. Um, and we have, we're not there yet. We're not seeing capitulation, um, but we may um, start selling everything and then don't get back in or, or, or don't have a thought of, okay, well, if I'm going to sell Disney, am I going to buy another stock or am I, am I going to buy an index? What have you? So, Everyone has to make their own decisions and be comfortable with, you know, that's what makes a market, whether whatever everyone's particular opinion of, on, on a security is, but sort of have a plan and a thought process. If you know um, you can get, you can be subject to that information overload, which I know I can be too. Well, we're all human, right? We all have those biases and, and mental walls and all that kind of fun stuff. Correct. Too. So, okay. I love that. So let's talk about the best piece of advice you give your uh, 20 or 30 year old self. What would that be and why? 
I would say the 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 best piece of advice that I would give myself is to is to I was I was lucky where someone told me to save, but I'd say save more, right? Is the date if it just look, you know, again, and I bet I I I'm fortunate, particularly compared to others who even have the ability to save. But if you do, and it doesn't matter how many zeros you have, try to do it because then you'll you when you look at your 401k going from when you're when you're 20 years old to 30, 30 to 40 to 50, it's gonna be there. So yeah. if you're not maximizing that, you know, find a way to do so. Pay off your debts or what have you, you know, you know, and again, it's easier said than done, right? Because when you're young, all I wanted to do is go, you know, I finally had some money. I didn't grow up with a lot. Finally right. had some hard not to say I want to go out on Friday and Saturday, dinner, drinks, whatever, whatever. Hard to do. Yeah. Um, but tr- try to stash them away. And again, it's it's less of if you want to buy yourself a latte, go, go you know, I, some people, you know, have different opinions on that. I'd probably say fine, but, you know, don't be overly reliant on just those experiences. Um, and do, and do, not that that $5 doesn't matter, um, because at this point now it's probably way more than five. But but my point is find a way to have that balance. Um, I know that over the, I was not necessarily uh, as good as that as I should have been. And so to me, that's the advice I'd give myself. I love that. And then let's talk about how you go about the process of creating new products and Talk me through that a little bit. Do you look at ideas? Do you weed them out? Like, do you rank them based on strongest to weakest? How do you, how does that whole process, that creative process work? So that's where, that's kind of my favorite part about my job. And that, I, and I'm lucky because I can kind of take my suit, suit jacket off and put on my proverbial lab coat. Um, and there are, but the best ideas that we've always had that I've had are, you know, come from others. They come from what's happening in the world. So, you know, for me, that's why I say social media can be a good tool because I can, Start hearing some chatter, huh? People are interested uh, in mRNA as a technology or what have you. And look, the data is backing it up, you know, with, with the COVID vaccines that this works, right? So then you can kind of take that, then go do some actual research to say, can I build a product here um, right. around this, these particular securities? Um, if we can build it, uh, are there, is it, is it sufficient liquidity to trade it? Can we actually manage it? If, if the fund grows, it's, is it gonna, are we gonna have challenges uh, or not with that particular case? So it's kind of balancing, hey, is there something interesting happening in the world? Do we believe that change is afoot? This is primarily on the thematic side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we, want to, that, that we believe investors uh, can take advantage of. But if it's just kind of this longer term, um, something that, that, that is not able, like quantum computing is a good example really exciting. Yeah. Um, and there are, there are companies that are involved with it, whether it's on the semiconductor side, but the biggest, you know, the biggest companies involved with that are also mega cap companies, Alphabet, right. IBM. Right. So am I really getting anything different if I were to create that particular product? Mm-hmm. Hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, it, and that's really what, where the balance of creating new products comes into bear is saying, hey, is there an investment? case out there, but is reality with the actual securities that you could own going to make that interesting and actually have the ability to outperform that someone couldn't do on their own or it doesn't already exist in the marketplace in in a different form? Uh, That's a really, really good point. So what about the ideas where you you say no to them? Is there a committee there that that helps you or is it just you or how does that process work and how do you go about saying, you know what, this might work, but we're like you said, we're too early. Quantum computing makes a lot of sense on paper, but practically, what are we going to do? Buy two stocks that are already in the queues or something like that? It doesn't make any sense. There's no value. So how do you go through that dance? 
Yeah, so we're, um, you know, we're a relatively smaller firm. I've worked at places with mega committees and it's got to get through committee one, committee two, committee three. And by that time, the idea may be too old or it has to get diluted. We're relatively nimble. So I have a small team who's kind of doing the legwork. Um, and if there's something that's interesting when we, you know, frequently um, are doing this work, we'll then, you know, kind of immediately bring in our portfolio management and risk folks. And then we'll pair that with, the more commercial side, our sales, marketing, distribution, and then come together and yeah, rank order those ideas. You know, right now, you know, um, you know, for example, when when we're we're that quantum computing is a, is a good one, right? Can we actually do it, right? right? Even though it's exciting, in our opinion, not necessarily. It doesn't make as much sense. In the example of M mRNA, when we launched that particular ETF. Um, that's where we said, wow, like we're going to have to go really small in cap in market cap to find companies that are involved with it. And, but I don't want to own Pfizer. And many people would say, hey, why not? Well, Pfizer is, is licensing that vaccine technology from BioNTech. Right. So that's the name we own. Would so how do I find yeah. the next Moderna, ne next BioNTech in that particular example? So that's where one where we made the decision as a group saying, we're comfortable owning some micro cap stocks here you know, some stocks that trade below $5 a share, because those are the names that have the long-term, you know, potential to be disruptive and bring an mRNA to fight Lyme disease or HIV AIDS, what have you. Uh, and, and commercially, that makes the most sense so that we're not just repackaging uh, other, uh, other pharmaceutical companies or medical companies in, in this and, and, and then calling it something new, because that's not really, in our opinion, what people want. Yeah, I love that. So final question for you, Dave, what are, what's the best piece of advice you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? I think, you know, I think that the, the best piece of advice is do your homework, right? As boring as that sounds, um, and maybe as much as I personally didn't want to do my homework, whether when I was actually uh, in school or, uh, or, or even when I was in my, in, in my 20s thinking about saving, you got to do it and you got to know what you own, right? So I don't, I don't necessarily care what, uh, what my friends are saying or what even smarter people than I are saying, unless I do my own work. So that's, I give that advice to anyone. Uh, and whether we're talking about buying a, you know, a treasury bond, <laughs> know what it is, know how it actually works, know how the rate setting mechanism works. You don't have to be an expert, um, but take your time because usually whether you're thinking about an individual stock, a fund, or even something much, much simpler, um, if you don't do that, that's to me when kind of some of the issues can go awry. I love it. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thank you.